0: Alright, now, we're going to be over a few chapters in 1 Timothy this morning. Uh, we're going to be over in 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, as we uh, study God's Word together. We are in a, a series right now on generosity. Uh, holiday season is approaching. You see here we've got some uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes that we're going to pray for during our offering time. Uh, as These represent uh, children. Uh, in different parts of the world that are going to be receiving these and hearing the gospel. And that is a good thing. And so uh, thank you for participating in that. And so we're going to pray for those. And uh, and it's the picture uh, for us uh, this morning as we're in this series on generosity. Uh, that we want to live generous lives to bless others and to help advance the gospel. Last week we talked about avoiding the things that can prevent generosity. We talked about avoiding certain attitudes certain mindsets, certain hopes and beliefs, and making sure that we understand that God is our provider and that He actually owns everything, that He's in control of everything, and that our hope's not supposed to be in our money, but in God. This week, the focus is on that we're not simply called to trust God and not money. It's more than that. What we believe and where we've placed our hope should be demonstrated by how we steward our money and in the area of generosity. Believers are called and commanded to be generous. It's not optional. It's a fruit of the Christian life. We serve a generous Lord. And when He takes over our life, He begins to turn us into increasingly more generous people. And so that's what we're kind of looking at today. And today we're going to see that this call to generosity has ramifications for both earth and heaven. It has ramifications for how I live and steward my money now and ramifications for the future, both now and both later. God doesn't allow you and me to act like this life does not matter and that only heaven matters and we'll just kind of do what we want to do in this life and one day we'll go to heaven and we'll do what we want to do there kind of thing. And At the same time, God doesn't allow us to act like this life is all that all that matters. God calls Christians to live for heaven in a way that impacts earth. And He calls us to live on earth like we are citizens of heaven. This has ramifications for every part of life, including our finances and our generosity. So we're back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. Remember Paul is writing Timothy, which was like his apprentice about how to set up the church and how to instruct the church on everything from church leadership to some basic ministry uh things. And here at the end, he's telling him how to teach those who have means in the church. He calls them the rich. And if you weren't here last week, what we talked about is if you're... Most of us, many Americans, biblically speaking, would be considered rich. If you have more than food, clothing, and shelter... If you've got means to save any money beyond that or to eat out or to go on a trip or to, to do anything beyond just food, clothing, and shelter, right? If we've got a closet full of clothes and a, a more than we need in these areas, biblically speaking, we've got abundance or we've got wealth or we've got richness to some degree or another, and there's obviously various levels. On a global economic scale, we talked about if you've got about forty-five dollars to $50,000 a year household income, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world which would classify many Americans. And it does. It takes a lot less than that to be in the top 10% in the world. And so many of us, most of us maybe this morning, would have to consider ourselves among the rich in the world and especially among the rich biblically speaking. And so in First Timothy chapter 6, he addresses us. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now our focus this morning is on verses 18 and 19. Last week we talked about... That address in verse 17, and the the attitudes and things we need to avoid, the enemies of generosity, and how our hopes ultimately like not to be in money, but the way we defeat greed and all those things in our life and don't put our hope on money is to hope in God. And that when our hope is cast on God, and we see Him as the provider and therefore the owner of everything, that transforms the way we view possessions and wealth and money and all those sort of things because we realize when God calls us to be generous, He's calling us to give His money away. And it's always more fun to give somebody else's money away, right? And so that's what we're always doing. Now, in verses 18 and 19, he gets into the real ramifications of that, of what it looks like. He says we are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share. So, two major categories here for verses 18 and 19. Number one, generosity as it relates to now. Generosity as it relates to earth. He goes directly from talking about enjoying God's provision to giving us a command to be generous. Did you catch that there at the end of verse 17? Put your hope in God who richly provides you with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous. He goes straight from enjoy what God has given you to give away and to share and to be generous with what God has given you. And the reason for that is this, I believe. Christian, you can't enjoy God's blessings to the fullest without being generous because God hasn't designed you to be self-indulgent, materialistic, or a hoarder. He's designed us to be givers. And He's designed us that way. He calls His people and He blesses us. The Bible's cover to cover from Genesis all the way through teaches that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. Uh, That is just the fundamental nature, the DNA of what it means to be the people of God. That things flow through us, okay? And so that we are to be generous, and that is a part of enjoying what God has given us. You know, you can't enjoy surround sound in, uh, on a TV or in your living room with the mute button on. Not designed to be enjoyed that way, right? It's gotta be set right, and the volume's gotta be up. There are a myriad of things that we could illustrate that way. Things don't work as well when they're not working according to design. And as Christians, if we live materialistically, if we don't live generously, if we don't discipline ourselves and and pray and ask God to make us more generous and work to be more generous and to grow in that area, and all we think about is for ourselves and having more and having better, we will not flourish spiritually because we are not designed to work that way. We're not saved to work that way. But... Generosity can be a battle, as we talked about last week. We live in a culture that constantly tempts us to and celebrates materialism. Commercials inundate us with pitches for better products and a better life. We don't just want a fill-in-the-blank, we want the best fill-in-the-blank, a better fill-in-the-blank. And culture reminds us of this. Millions and billions of dollars are made just encouraging us to buy things we don't need. To replace things that we already have. Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, I mentioned last week that we would quote from this book often in this series. Incredible book. He gives six treasure principles. And one of those, I mentioned a couple of them last week. One of those principles is that giving is the only antidote to materialism. And that's one of the reasons you see this transition here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He goes straight from all that you have and all God's blessed you with to be generous. Because we do have and because God has blessed us, there is an incredible temptation To be like the guy in Luke 12 who stores up for a day that's not even coming sometimes. Who rejoices and and is not rich towards God, but is but is just rich in what we have or what we hoard or what we are blessed with. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. It helps break that, that chain, that potential bondage, by forcing us to remember that there are other people and that this all comes from God and we're stewarding what He's given us and it helps us get outward focus and get the focus off ourselves. But this antidote requires action. It's not enough for us to feel a certain way or for us to desire to be generous. For not enough for us to feel empathy for those that we can bless. True generosity requires action. God is concerned not simply with how we feel, God is concerned with what we do. And so these commands, these fourfold command here on generosity, is all very action-oriented. The first thing, he he gives a fourfold command. The first thing he says is do good. He says, command them, encourage them. They are to do good. This should be the all-encompassing nature of our life. We should be people who do good, do what is right, live for the kingdom and live for the benefit of others. This is kind of a broad, general thing here. Because with money, with one degree or another, comes power. Comes power. And it's possible to have money and to have power and to not do good with that money and with that power. To oppress, even. People can do this through corruption or for cheating and swindling and stealing when employers mistreat employees, when people don't pay others what they're owed, doing bad instead of good. It's possible possible to not do good with the wealth. This was a problem in the New Testament with many of what the Bible would refer to as the wicked rich. Because money and power can corrupt. But it can also happens through simply ignoring. We can not actively do good. It's not that we're out purposely doing evil. We're just not actively doing good. We don't live for the kingdom. We don't give to help the spiritual and physical needs of others. We're not actively engaged in doing good. So he says, do good. This should be the overall nature of who we are in Christ. We're seeking to do good. But all of that says, be rich in good works. These are deeds and actions. A very active command. Be rich, be filled with, have plenty of good works. He says, you're rich, be rich in good works. Don't just be rich in money. Don't kind of sort of do good, but all out. Be rich in doing good, in doing good works. You know, throughout the New Testament, we're called to do good works. And it's actually told us that it is a fruit of being a follower of Christ that we will do good works. Hebrews 10, through 25 says it this way. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So we're to hold on to what we believed, our confession of our hope in Christ. And he said, and let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works. He says, church, we're to consider how I'm to prompt you, you're to prompt me, and we're to prompt one another to love, and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, in other words, be involved in the local church and the local assembly, like you're being this morning, and encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. we are part of the reason we assemble, part of the reason we meet, part of the reason we have a Sunday service and small groups and home groups and those sort of things, is to stir one another to love and good works and to grow in these things. Matthew Pearman. Writes in his book, What's Best Next? How the Gospel Transforms the Way You Get Things Done. This quote. According to the Scriptures, good works are not simply the rare, special, extraordinary, or super spiritual things we do. Rather, they're anything we do in faith. Raising our kids by faith. Doing our jobs by faith. Serving our neighbors by faith. It's not just the the mission trip. It's not just the, 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 the feeding the homeless. The, all those things are good. But it's not just that. Everything we do by faith, in a sense, is to be a good work. And one of the things that we can do, we're seeing here, is we can do good works with our resources. We can help fund ministry. We can share the help share the gospel. Help plant churches. Help feed the poor. Help the hurting. Help orphans. And our treasure can be a way to do those good things. And help serve those good things. But it's also about more than money. I find it interesting that in this passage, On Money, he addresses good works. Because, see, sometimes the easiest thing for some people to do is write a check. Some people would rather write a check than give their time. And the Bible calls us to steward all of who we are. Our time, our talent and abilities, our treasure, everything we have in a way that advances the kingdom agenda, that brings glory to God, and that serves and loves our neighbor. And so it's about more than just our generosity with our money. It's not less than that, but it is about more than that. So we need to be people of faith, and our life should be filled with actions of faith, these good works that glorify God and bless others. He says we're also to be generous. That word literally means to be liberal, to willing to give unstintingly. There can be a tendency for some people to think, so how much do I have to give to be generous? Can you give me a dollar figure? Can you give me a percentage? I like those sermons where they just give me a percentage. It's not that sermon. He says, be generous. In other words, be liberal and willing to give unstintingly. He doesn't make it that simple for us. He wants us to wrestle with this. There should be a tension there. Because if there wasn't, some of us are wired in such a way, we would go, okay, he said give this amount, there's that amount, I don't even have to pray or think about it anymore. But throughout the New Testament, what you'll see is give generously, give generously, give generously, give sacrificially, give sacrificially, give sacrificially. Because we're called to liberal generosity. To not look to just get by, but to bless. What does that look like? It can look different ways for different peoples, but it looks like generosity. And it's a a thing we can grow in. It's a thing we can mature in, just like anything else. You can grow in patience, can't you? Have you grown in self-control over the years? Have you matured in these areas? You can mature in giving and generosity. It is a spiritual gift. It is a spiritual fruit that we can grow and that we can mature in and increase in. We'll get more practical next week on that. Now, be ready to share, he says, is the, is the other command we see here. That's the posture of generosity. We're ready. We're not to avoid, but to be positioned for opportunities to bless others physically and spiritually. The word for share there is the same Greek word used in Acts. It's 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 a form of the word "koinonia," the word for fellowship and sharing. It's a rich word in the New Testament, speaking to our commonality in Christ. See, the church is a fellowship. It's a sharing. We share Christ together, we come together. We take the Lord's Supper together, and we're we're united in Christ. We're one body, one fellowship in Christ. This koinonia. a so, biblically speaking, fellowship is much more than potlucks and Christmas parties and lunches. It, it's our commonality in Jesus as brothers and sisters, as a family under Him. And he uses that word to say be ready to share because I believe it springs from our commonality in the faith and it starts with our sharing and our giving and our generous towards the community of faith and the mission of our community. But he says this is the posture. It's ready to share, ready to give, ready to let go of things. You know, posture communicates intent. If we were having a college class this morning, or you were observing a college class, and you looked over at your na- the, the guy sitting next to you, and he was slouched down in his chair, kind of chewing on his pen, one, and his hat pulled down. You'd say, "Now, there's a guy that's ready to learn today." No, <laughs> he's got his headphones in. You know, you wouldn't think that. You'd say, "They're not here to learn today. They're just they just want to be here so they don't get checked absent because maybe there's a limit on how many they can have and pass the class." Posture communicates intent, right? So, But you see the person and they're sitting up straight and they've got their pen out and they're taking notes. Maybe they're recording. Maybe they're typing notes. And they're paying attention and they're asking questions. Right now there's a learner, right? The posture of generosity is inward. It's in our heart. It's a readiness to share. It's a looking. It's a seeking opportunity, not avoiding opportunity. It's a prayerful spirit, not a spirit consumed with the worries of the things of this world. Christians need a posture of generosity. Looking for ways to give. Prayerful about things. Paul here uses four different ways that we just went through to promote a generous spirit from the believer here on this earth. All these ways are a blessing to others and help advance God's mission. And by using multiple ways of saying similar things, he is emphasizing the importance of using our resources to be a blessing. He's emphasizing. He's, he's saying similar things over and over again. They're a little different, but they're kind of similar. When the Bible does that, it's emphasizing, it's making the point like, don't miss this. I really want you to understand this. And when we give to the local church, we give to God's mission of making disciples, we're blessing others. Sometimes that's physical. It's always spiritual. When we support ministries that help the poor, the hurting, the abused, the neglected, the orphaned, and so on, we're helping others. Like Samaritan's Purse that we're participating in this year. Orlando Rescue Mission, that we give a percentage to every year as a church body, that you're welcome to support on your own as well. Benevolence things that we take up for and that we help with. The Pregnancy Center that we support and that we take up offerings for. When we help plant churches and support missionaries that share the gospel, we're helping others. Goba, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, as our Christmas offering and our Easter offering. North American Missions, Global Missions, these are all ways we're participating, all ways that we're doing these things, when we simply help someone we know, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, financially. All these are ways that we participate in this and we show generosity. But it's not enough, and the Bible makes this clear, it's not enough to feel a certain way. We have to act. It can't just be intent. It's got to be intentional action. That means you have to plan. We have to make choices. We can't give to everything. We have to make it a part of our lives. The kind of generosity Paul is speaking of is a major part of your life. It's not dropping $5 in the Salvation Army bucket at Christmas and saying, I'm generous. It's not buying Girl Scout cookies every time they come around and saying, I'm generous. No, it's a disciplined part of our life. It's a major part of our life. It means you can feel it. It's a life-shaping, intentional, purposeful generosity. And when we choose to be generous, when we decide to break the stranglehold of materialism in our lives and aim to give and not simply to have, he says there's something we need to consider. While investing resources this way does not bring earthly profit, he's going to say it does bring eternal impact. That's the second thing, generosity as it relates to labor, as it relates to heaven. He says when we do this, we're thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He is connecting earth and heaven through giving. Think about that. He's drawing a straight line from how we use our resources here to heaven. There's a tendency for us to disconnect life in this world from life in the next. But how we live in this life matters. In fact, we can store up treasure in this life in heaven. Notice, all of verse 18 is about giving away. And all of verse 19 is about what you get. You give away, but you store up for yourself. You bless others, but you're blessed in blessing others. See, when he says storing up treasure for the future, he's clearly clearly referencing the words of Jesus. It's going to be on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. I believe this is where where he's getting this from. This is what Jesus taught. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, you don't lay up treasure on on earth because it can be destroyed or stolen, etc. Right? It's one of those things. This world is fallen. Bad things happen. And bad things happen to our resources. This world is temporary and life is fleeting. Life here and now, the present life as we know it, is not forever. So Jesus says you need to make a wiser investment. Paul says you need to make a wiser investment. We need to lay up treasure in heaven. Because it can't be destroyed there. It can't be stolen there. It's, It's eternally lasting there. Jesus is saying having treasure in heaven is better than earth because heaven is better than earth. One is eternal, one is not. One has consequences of sin. One is protected from the consequences of sin. Because there is no sin in heaven. And so Paul's thinking and Jesus' thinking is in line. He wants us to store up treasure for the future. He's talking clearly about our future in heaven. And here's the thing. Paul and Jesus are in line on this because they both understood something. Heaven is the home of the believer. That's our true home. We're seated with Christ, the Bible says, in heavenly places. And we're going to live way longer in heaven than we're going to live in this life here and now. We may live to be 80, 90, 100, 110 years old. Who knows how long? But we're going to live forever in heaven. Two more of Alcorn's principles from that book, I'm gonna give them to you right now, are, Heaven, not earth, is my home, and my heart always goes where I put God's money. And we see that those principles expressed in what Paul's saying and what Jesus is saying. Heaven, not earth, is my home, and my heart is all, always goes where I put God's money. Listen to Philippians 3.20. Paul writes this there. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's kind of our posture on We understand that we kind of got this dual citizenship. Yeah, we're on the earth and we're to to do good here and to love and to serve and to, to seek human flourishing and to, it, it talks about in Jeremiah we're to live like like exiles and like missionaries where we're at. But at the same time we understand our true home, our lasting home is not here. It is in heaven. And we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And so we're to live with that posture as well. So we're to remember that our real home is not here, but is in heaven and then we're to invest accordingly. When I was a kid, about nine, ten years old, uh, my parents um, built a house. And we had lived in this little house in our town my whole life. And for much of my life that I can remember in my childhood, my mom would buy these little books, the houses in them, and all these different floor plans. And she would earmark them, right? And then we'd get in our car, and we'd go through neighborhoods, and we'd drive, and we'd look at houses, and we'd spend weekends doing that. It was a blast at nine years old. <laughs> It was fine, I mapped a lot, probably, but and then the day came. they bought the plot of land. they had the plot of land cleared, then they had to plant grass, and I had to help plant grass on the plot of land and then they built the house and they picked out all the things that go in the house, and there was flooring and there was carpet and there was all these different things that they had to decide on. They had to furnish the house. Years went into that. The whole process. And like a year to build the house. All kinds of time and energy. And I can promise you, it took a lot of little vacations growing up. We never put that kind of time and energy into a vacation. We never planned that our, our hotel room stays like that. I'm not saying we didn't put any time into it, although we were known from time to time to just kind of back up, and hey, let's just go on vacation. What? huh? You know, let's go. But when it came to picking out a hotel room, or wherever you're going to stay for a few days... Nowhere near the same amount of time, energy, and resources went into that. Because one was home and one was not. And we knew the difference. And we spent a lot more money on home than we spent on what was temporary. We were a lot more invested in it. We cared more about it. And you do the same thing now. We all do. And the practical implication of that is that we shouldn't spend years, or excuse me, spend energy, So focused on the here and now that we completely miss that we're going to live way longer somewhere else. I'm not saying the here and now don't matter. I'm saying this. We live in the here and now in light of the later. The coming day of the new heaven and the new earth and our eternity with Jesus should shape how we live Sunday through Saturday, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right here about now. In our living, in our behaving, and yes, even in our giving. We shouldn't treat earth like it's our true home. Like it's our eternal home. We're here, but we're here with a missional purpose. We're passing through to a better place. That has been the case for the people of God for centuries. For millennia. But the temptation is to think way less about theirs. People say, oh, you heard the old saying before, you know, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Oh, no, no, no. We're way too earthly minded that we're no earthly good. When we are setting our minds on the things above, as Colossians 3 commands us, it will transform, for the better, how we live our earthly life. And that translates to our finances. Does what we do with our, Does what we do with our money reveal that heaven is our home? Because, see, our use of money does two things. First of all, it indicates our heart. It's a heart indicator. You know, Paul's not saying in his passage that by being generous and doing good, good works, that you're securing your place in heaven, that you're earning it somehow. That's not the point. I mean, Paul spent much time talking about how we're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves. However, we do need to realize that our use of resources does speak to where our heart is. And it also directs our heart. It's not only a heart indicator, but it is a heart director. Also. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Will be. Your heart will follow your treasure. Sometimes we think about it backwards. Jesus says, no, your treasure, your heart, rather, is going to chase your treasure. Think about that. In other words, think about it very practically. Have you ever deemed a new car? Did you care more than if you deemed the rental? Well, sure. Although that can be a pain too, right? We we care more about the things that we're invested in. Our our heart follows our resources, follows our time and our energy, our talents, our treasure, our money. And so, if we want to care more about the things of God, we should give more to the things that God cares about. If we want to care more about disciple-making and God's mission, try investing more there. We care more about the ministries we give to than the ministries we don't. And Paul tells us, amazingly, as we're doing this, we're storing up treasures for ourselves as a good foundation. It reveals our heart, but it also actively stores up treasures in heaven. As stewards, we are to be motivated by heavenly reward and not earthly profit. He's not saying you're going to be, you know, have some. You do this, and God's going to get, make you rich and all that. Garbage. That's not what He's saying. He's saying, but listen, you are storing up treasure in heaven. The Bible talks a lot about rewards in heaven. It tells us to be motivated by it. We're to live. With our heart and our aim that way, understanding that we don't always get a reward in the here and now. that God is always faithful to reward us in the life to come. And one of the ways we participate in what God's doing, is not just our time and our talent, but also our treasure. And it all boils down to, do we really believe in eternity? Do we really believe in heaven? And do we really believe that heaven is our real home? Do we really believe it, or is it church talk? If our confessions say we believe, one thing, but our bank accounts say we don't, that is a breakdown of monumental proportions that should grieve our hearts. Because the problem is not a bank account problem, the problem's a heart problem. It's the case in every other area of life. When I say I believe something, but there's a moral breakdown between the commands of Scripture and what God says I'm to do and how I'm to live, there's a breakdown about what I really believe. So there's a breakdown, there's something wrong. And my heart's not given towards generosity and participation in God's work and what God's doing in the world and blessing others. There's a breakdown in my faith. And so we're supposed to steward our resources. Because heaven is our home, because heaven is eternal, we're trying to steward our resources in a way that reflects that. Because see, not everything is forever. We've got to have things here. I get that. And, And we're forever. We're going to live forever somewhere. And God wants us to enjoy life. I get that, but God's forever. So should we, shouldn't we? we live and shouldn't we give in a way that honors Him? He's forever. Your relationship with God is forever. God's Word is forever. The Bible teaches God's word's never going to pass away. you are never getting away from the Bible. It will always be there. His promises will always be true. His Word will always hold. God's Word's eternal. God's uh, people. People are forever. Everybody's going to live somewhere. Everybody's an image bearer of God and everybody's going to live somewhere forever. Either in a Christless eternity being punished for their sin or in heaven with God. I racked my brain. That's what I came up with. God, His Word, people. Those are Forever. And doesn't it make sense that we'd use our resources as the people of God to honor God, to spread his word, to care for and connect people to the gospel so they can be saved and live forever with Him? That makes sense? When we really think about it. That's an eternal investment. You might have heard of the missionary Jim Elliott, who was a martyr, who died for his faith several years ago, a few decades ago. He said this, famous quote of his, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was true in his life as he laid down his life to advance the gospel. And it's true on a very practical level with our possessions. We're not foolish to give what we can't keep to gain what we can't lose. Paul says when we store up treasure for the future, we take hold of that which is truly life. Real life is what it means in the Greek. Some translations say eternal life because in another place in the same book he talks about taking hold of eternal life. It's not about earning salvation as I mentioned earlier. Remember, good works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. However, the fruit of salvation is changed life. And the idea that we'd expect our eternities to be different from the lost people around us if our lives and our stewardship isn't is incredibly wrong. If faith in Christ is the root, then it will show itself in the fruit of Christ-like living, including generosity. At the same time, the Bible speaks of eternal life in the here and now. It's not just something out there, it's just something you can take a hold of now. Somebody once said that actually when the Bible talks about it, it talks about it in terms of quality of living as much as, or more so, than in the terms of the endurance of living forever. The Bible talks about abundant life, right? Eternal life in the here and now. Eternal life is connected to Jesus. So you begin eternal life the moment you believe in Jesus. And the New Testament speaks of it that way. And the life we are meant to live on this world in Christ is not a shallow life focused on the pleasures of the world, but a rich life focused on the kingdom of God. And so if you're not really giving, you're not really living. We're not fully embracing and taking hold of the life, real life. We, we're we enslaved to our materialism. Living a self-centered, materialistic, indulgent or greedy or covetous life is not spiritually healthy. It's destructive and it will corrode at you. You're missing out on something not just to not storing up for later. You're missing out on really living in the here and now. Taking hold of that which is truly life. Think about it. We have the capability to impact eternity into the here and now through our living and through our giving. We do this when we share our faith. We do this when we fund ministry. We do this when we help the physical and spiritual needs of others. So, for instance, if you give here to North Park when people trust Jesus or people grow spiritually and take their next step towards Jesus and people are helped through situations and they prosper spiritually, whether it's through salvation or spiritual growth, you're participating. You have a share in that. You had a part in that. If you help fund ministry here. It's so the same with missionaries. We have a missionary right out of our church, Caitlin, who's over in Belfast. If you're participating financially in what she's doing, you're participating when a student comes to Christ there. You have, you're participating in that. We're going to learn all about that. I believe in eternity. We're going to be able to connect the dots. From how we participated in seeing people come to faith in Christ. Yes, salvation's all of the Lord, but how He used us to get the gospel to them and to minister to them. We need to make the connection between heaven and earth. And we need to live that way. You know, the ultimate connector between heaven and earth is the mediator between God and man, Jesus. He came from heaven to earth. Lived a real earthly life. We know this. He, he died a real death for real sin. Our sin on the cross. Rose Literally rose from the dead in a way that drastically impacted eternity for all those who believe. And it's only Jesus who transforms our life on earth and secures for us life in heaven. And He's the ultimate connector between life here and life there. And when we live life centered on Him, it transforms everything. About heaven and earth. And when we believe the gospel, we become people of mission on earth with a home in heaven. And only when we've trusted in the treasure that is Jesus can we be transformed to where we want to use our treasure in a way that glorifies our true treasure, which is the Lord Jesus. So, today, first of all, we need to understand that we're called to generosity. This is not an optional thing for the Christian. It's a God's work in our heart. And we are to steward our resources on this earth in a way that brings Him glory. Actively doing this with our time, our talents, and our treasure. We need to have a posture of generosity on this earth. And we need to realize there's a connection between what we do on this earth and heaven. It reveals our heart. It reveals whether we've been transformed. And also we can store up treasures in heaven. It helps direct our hearts towards the things of heaven. So what does our stewardship say about where our heart is this morning? Are we actively storing up treasure in heaven? Here's my challenge today. I want you to pray this prayer today and this week. Father, will you show me how I can be a better steward and make me an increasingly generous person? Show me how I can be a better steward and show me how I can be an increasingly generous person. Because we know he wants us to be good stewards and we can all be better at it. I know I can. And we know He wants us to be increasingly generous and we can all be more generous And I know I can in a myriad of ways, just in our daily life. So will you pray that prayer today before we leave and will you pray that prayer this week and and if you don't know Christ if there's never been a time in your life where you've grasped the generosity of God and Jesus and had your earthly life transformed from the inside out and made into a new person that only happens through faith in Christ. And so I encourage you to trust Jesus today. And if you're a believer in Christ, I encourage you to press on in our walk together to be more Christ-like, even in our generosity. Let's pray.